Hi there, this is your host, Lucien Gray, and you're listening to our podcast. So, I hope everyone's spring is off to a good start. Um, I'm absolutely in love with the weather right now. Um, right now, I'm located in Asheville, North Carolina, and I have to say, it's prettier than it's ever been before. Um, I'm loving it a lot, and I'm hoping everyone out there listening to this is loving their start off to their spring, too. So, today I wanted to discuss something that's going on uh, that's just caught my brain and you know, caught the attention of others as well. Um, recently, both on like Twitter, TikTok, all these different forms of media, which is the reclamation uh, women have started of their sexuality, their stories, and um, their carving of space in uh, the music world. So I'm going to be breaking this down with y'all um, in this conversation by both talking about, you know, the women that are out there doing this, the women that have paved the way for this movement, and also some historical context to understand why this is just such a big deal and why it's uh, garnering the attention of so many. And um, yeah, hopefully it'll be a fun ride for everyone. I suggest you... um, find a comfy spot because it's not going to be a long podcast, but it will be one where you'll just want to, you know, sit down and, or, or be on a walk or something, somewhere where you could just channel your focus and energy, um, into this topic. So yeah, um, I'm excited. Let's get right into it. begin um, discussing this, I want to invite everyone listening to begin thinking about some of their favorite artists, um, and more specifically, maybe their favorite genres of music, and also uh, what kind of music and artists you're listening to when you were a child. Um, These things really matter, especially within this topic. And there were questions I was asking myself as, as I was doing research for this podcast. And, you know, um, I, I also heard these questions being asked by people who have explored this topic more insightfully, more academically um, for a longer time than I have. And it, it really is important because the music that we listen to now is mostly and sometimes a product of what living environments we were in uh, before, what culture we were surrounded by, um, and, you know, earned all of our uh, morals and ethics and beliefs about the world from. And so when you start thinking about these things, a lot of, you know, things start making sense, especially when you're thinking about music and how it's evolved over time. Um, so, yeah, I, I invite everyone to think about that. 
Um, I know specifically for me, when I was growing up, I was surrounded by a lot of um, Michael Jackson. Oh God, who else? Um, I mean, Madonna, as we know from the last podcast. She's been the love of my life forever. Um, And then The Cure. Oh God, Depeche Mode. Um, (laughs) Yaz. All these like 80s new wave bands that my parents were just obsessed with. They're kind of who I was surrounded by growing up. Um, As well as like, you know, just basic pop music from the 80s and 90s. And um, I I also was surrounded by a lot of uh, Frank Sinatra. (laughs) Like, literally so much Frank Sinatra. My grandmother used to pick me up in the morning and, uh, or drop me off at school in the morning, and she would play so much Frank Sinatra. And that, those songs by Frank Sinatra were for some reason, like, the first songs I began to know, like, every word to. Um, and I feel like everyone had those growing up. Like, you just remember that, like, one song that you just, you remember learning every word to. Whether it's, like, subconsciously or, like, consciously, you just had that one song as a kid. Like, everyone did. Um, and for me, it was definitely, uh, The Girl from Ipanema. And, um, I, this really came to mind, uh, when I started asking these questions. Because I was like, okay... This was a song that really impacted me and really made me start exploring my love and interest in music because that's what songs you listen, you know every word to do to you, you know? So I was thinking like, okay, maybe I should break down the lyrics to this song, right? So for those unfamiliar with the song Girl from Ipanema, it is a song written by Norman Gimbel and Antonio Carlos Jobin, as well as some other people. Really, the important part to know is that Frank Sinatra really brought this song into the mainstream at the time in which he covered it and sang it. Um, and the song has a lot of implications, especially for the way in which um, his interests in women were expressed um, or just... You know, not, maybe not him because he didn't write it, but uh, men who wrote it, you know, how they uh, ex- how they expressed infatuation was really interesting because that's what the song is primarily about. It's about seeing this gorgeous woman on the beach and, you know, what do I do? What do I say? How should I think? And the results are kind of disturbing. <laughs> and I can't believe my grandma just low-key just, like, let me sing this, um you know, in the car as, like, a little kid. I mean, the song is beautiful, um, but the lyrics just have a few problematic undertones that maybe we should revisit as a society. But (laughs) anyways, the lyrics themselves are... So it starts off, and it goes, Tall and tan and young and lovely, the girl from Ipanema goes walking, and when she passes, each one she passes goes... Uh, and then it says, oh, but he watches so sadly. How can he tell her he loves her? Yes, would give his heart gladly. But each day when she walks to the sea, she looks straight ahead, not at him. Tall and tan and young and lovely, blah, 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 da, 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 da. Like, it just keeps going. 
Um, but that last verse, I really wanted to talk about that when the the songwriters are saying, oh, but when he watches her so sadly, how can he tell her and show her that he loves her? Is just, there's so much to unpack in this, like, literally two lines. Um, it's implying, first of all, that this man, whoever, be it Frank Sinatra or this, these people writing the song, are watching this woman walk every single day at the same time and just stalking her and, like, literally looking at her. And on top of that, upset that she is not giving him attention or the time of day. And on top of both of those things, that he is expressing a love for her. Now, this is something we commonly see in music, especially from a male writer's perspective, is that men are always writing about things that they can't have. Like, what is their obsession with this? Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. And it's something so well exemplified in this song that I was singing, like, every word to when I grew up. This one example um, is just a testament to the ways in which we all... um, find it shocking to read the lyrics of songs we loved and listened to as maybe children or even more recently like when you're listening to a song on the radio and you're like oh I really like this and then you start listening to the lyrics and you start hearing it and you're like wait a second what is this actually saying you know so what I really want to get into is the subconscious effect this has on us um a study once found that Uh, Music travels to primarily two sides of the brain, which, excuse me if I say them wrong, Um, this is not my field of study, but I'm going to try my best, is the prefrontal cortex, um, which controls behavior, expression, and decision making, which is pretty huge, so music impacts that, I guess, Um, and the nucleus accumbens and amygdala. I don't know if I said that right, but point being that that part of the brain is involved with emotional reactions to music. So this is really important because this is talking about the way music can um, control our behavior, our expression, and our decision making, as well as um, our emotional state, which is huge because um, a lot of the music we consume is by men is written by men, sorry, is written by men, is from a male perspective, and so in many ways, the music we're digesting and consuming is um, the, the, the same ways in which men would, you know, try to control their behavior or their expressions or their decision-making and, um, you know, process their emotions. And we all know that Uh, Toxic masculinity is a huge problem within our society, especially in in the United States, which um, most music the United States citizens listen to are um, actually produced and written and performed by um, American artists as well. So we know that this is a big issue in our society, and the ways in which we consume this media is also a reflection 
or I guess really the media we consume, is a reflection of our society. And this media that reflects our society is also um, being digested within our subconscious. And this is a huge deal because this does affect the way people feel. I mean, when I hear the song Dirty by Christina Aguilera, it makes me want to get dirty. It makes me want to get on the dance floor. Um, (laughs) So, you know, just like small things like that can really, you know, help you understand these like big studies that are finding this. And um, what's interesting in this case is when we are hearing songs of men expressing their feelings about women, um, it's impacting the way we feel about women in some ways. Um, maybe not as individuals, but as a collective. And in many ways, it's been reiterated and reinforced in much of the listen in, in much of the music we listen to. So, like, just as women were being objectified in the girl from Ipanema, um, women were being objectified in uh, the recent The Baby album, for example. We could talk about that. Or even the latest Justin Bieber music video, which just had tons of people, like, really upset. Um, it's, it's something that reoccurs and is a theme that has been reinforced because it's the way we think, and it hasn't really been challenged until recently, right? <laughs> so, yeah. An important note to take as well is that in the year 2018, for example... Um, just about 16% of the billboard entries of that year were women. So that means a whole lot more of the billboard entries were men. And that was the music most people were listening to. That's what the billboard is. It's a reflection of what's being listened to the most, what's being streamed the most. And, you know, that, that has a big effect on people. Um, and what I was getting to right at the end of that last part was that this is changing now and it's really exciting. So this paradigm shift we've seen in the stories of women and and the shift in the way women's stories are being told um, did not come out of nowhere. You know, this is not just a new thing happening right now. We can see this paradigm shift starting way back when. I mean, I'm talking about way before, you know, the 60s or the 70s, but for contemporary um, sake, we're going to talk about, you know, the women that have paved the way and what exactly these stories are that they're expressing and how they contrast the ones that we've discussed so far. So yeah, let's get into it. So continuing with that, I wanted to... uh, bring a song to contrast uh, Girl from Ipanema. Girl from Ipanema was released in 1964. So I went searching for a song written by a woman and sung by a woman in 1964. And out of the list, the one that stood out to me the most, maybe because I knew it, was Walk On By by Dionne Warwick. Um, Now this song... It just carries such a... Okay, excuse me for using this term. It's, like, such an annoying term right now because I feel like every academic student is, like, using it, which is 
duality. Like, but in this case, there is. And, like, I don't know another word to express that emotion more, frankly. There is such a duality between this song, um, Walk On By, and uh, Frank Sinatra's Girl From Ipanema. Because this song's lyrics uh, directly oppose uh, the assumptions and the emotions uh, expressed in Girlfriend Me So, the lyrics, I have them right here. Uh, the, the, the lyrics are, it starts off, you know, the nice music, Dion's getting ready to sing, you know, that, that little part at the beginning. And then she goes, if you see me walking down the street and I start to cry each time we meet, Walk on by, walk on by. Make believe that you don't see the tears. Just let me grieve in private. Because each time I see you, I break down and cry. Walk on by, don't stop. Walk on by, don't stop. And walk on by. Now, this, like I said, is such a contrast to uh, Frank Sinatra's girl from Ipanema, because in that song, he's seeing a girl walk on by from him, from his perspective, you know? And that girl could be going through so much that he doesn't know about, or that these male writers didn't know about. Um, yet, he's fallen in love with her, he's taken notice of her over days, um, and this is completely unsolicited. This girl they're talking about in the song probably has no idea who this man is that's singing about her. And this song, Walk On By by Dionne Warwick, kind of addresses that issue, is that these men that are noticing women walking by them every day, you know, are making all these assumptions about them, even going as far to fall in love with them. And what she's saying is, I'm going through a lot right now, okay, because I just lost my mans that I love. And I don't need anyone making any assumptions about me or trying to soothe me. I am in control of my emotions. My body is not a political playground. It is not a playground for your emotions or your longing or your needs in life or your wants. I am taking control of my body and my agency to feel this pain that I'm having. And I'm not going to let it be interrupted I'm not going to let my healing process be interrupted by some man who is just, you know, approaching me at this, like, very personal moment I'm going through in my life. So that song, just, like, wow, it couldn't have been more better. And the fact that it was, like, released a couple months after Girl from Ipanema makes me wonder, but <laughs> that's probably a whole other story. I'm sure they had nothing to do with each other, but... What's interesting is that this song was released at a time in which women were not really writing their own songs and being put into the mainstream consumption or being accepted much. But Dionne Warwick is releasing the song Walk On By, which is contrasting a lot of the narratives, such as Girl From Ipanema, that are being made um, and being elicited and expressed in the mainstream. So it's really interesting and it's really powerful in a way. And it also shows how women of color have been at the forefront of this trailblazing 
and women reclaiming their sexuality and reclaiming their storytelling and their experiences in this form of media. And a lot has changed since then. A lot has changed since Walk On By. Um, It's one of many songs from the 60s and 50s that that were by women and written by women that express their own emotions unapologetically. And I'm sure there are much better examples, but that that one just, it really stood out um, for the very reason in which we're talking about the ways in which men perceived women and um, the way the male gaze was, you know, uh, affecting uh, the way women were seen and treated in society. And the way Dionne Warwick was just like, you know what? No. <laughs> but like I said, we can see this going, moving forward in much more drastic ways in the 70s, um, which was the time of the liberation period. Um, we saw artists come out of like the hippie movement and whatnot. Um, and uh, just like artists such as Stevie Nicks, for example, uh, writing about her own experiences with the way men her over. Um, you can see it in rumors. She is literally talking about the ways in which men had disadvantaged her in the music industry um, and the way it affected her relationship and her new perspective on the world. It's it's really sad. It's very thought-evoking. It's very, um, it's very emotional. You can see it in the works of Carly Simon, who is, of course, maybe talking about you know, higher prestige life, but a narrative in, of women that was not expressed before. Uh, we, you know, the song You're So Vain is, of course, synonymous with many of the anthems that came out of the liberation movement in the 70s. Um, or I Am Woman uh, by... Um, who was expressing their concerns with how she was affected as a woman at a structural level, she had to give up her baby for adoption, right? And she faced a lot of issues with that. And she talked about how she was put in that situation in the first place for the disregard many men in her life had at the time for the struggles she was going through. She was left behind by her husband. I mean, all these different ways in which she then empowered herself in her music and in her songwriting um, to then, like, move forward. We saw it with Carole King. I mean, Carole King's tapestry defined the decade and empowered tons of teenage girls to start talking about, you know, what they desired, what what they wanted to do with their careers. Um, I mean, tapestry was huge. We saw it in artists such as uh, Grace Jones or Donna Summer in the late 90s, um, who were talking about uh, and making space for women who never got to have an anthem about going out at night because it had been so taboo before or it just had not been talked about. Women enjoy themselves as well, and that's something that um, Donna Summer and Grace Jones, of course, brought to the forefront alongside people like Cher. And um, we saw it in songs like Heart of Class by Blondie. Um, women were taking ownership 
of their happiness, of their freedoms, and, uh, you know, expressing all these taboos and addressing them in ways we hadn't seen before. So then we move forward into the 80s. We have artists such as, uh, oh my gosh, Whitney Houston, Madonna, of course, and Cyndi Lauper. Cyndi Lauper has a song, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. That song was on the billboard for like weeks on end that summer it was released. And it's a song about girls wanting to do things that are for girls and with girls. You know, girls just want to have fun. It was, it was such a huge anthem for, for women. And it broke a lot of boundaries that were then or broke down a lot of walls that once broken down allowed women to go venture out into more outlets of, you know, detailing what they enjoyed doing in their life and enjoyed doing with women in their life. Um, We also saw this with artists such as by Helen Reddy. And we even hear uh, stories by artists like Joni Mitchell who's bringing her experience to the table. Artists like Sade, who was, uh, you know, leading the silent um, wave music of the 80s. At, in the, at night, when you would turn on the radio, you would hear, like, these very soft-spoken um, songs by artists. And anyways, that was the silent wave. She was leading that and expressing stories and women's connection to spirituality and uh, connection with the earth. And that was something that Sade really brought to the forefront. That was a story we never heard before um, from women in music. Or we can also see this in the works of the Go-Go's, who uh, are also making music similar to Cyndi Lauper. Um, You know, music for women, by women, and nothing that is meant to be appealing or made to be appealing for the audience member of men. Um, It it wasn't made in that light. Uh, Music like Diana Ross's, who empowered the LGBTQ plus community in ways beyond comprehension, um, we saw a lot. Um, I know I'm kind of going on a soapbox, but it's important to recognize the historical um, trailblazing that was done to get to this moment that we're talking about. Because the women who help us get here, or the people in general who help us get here, are, you know, you can't look over, you can't overlook them, especially when regarding this topic or any topic. When you're discussing uh, manners such as, you know, uh, how we got to space, you're going to talk about the scientists who helped do that research, you know. And in many ways, it's the same for this. Um, And, you know, to move forward, uh, in the 90s and the 2000s, we saw artists like Christina Aguilera, Beyonce, and Britney Spears, who were really pushing this narrative, making as much space as possible for women. And in this, at this point, they were, they were, making this a multimedia uh, experience. This was not just hearing women say things or um, hearing women 
expressing their narratives. This was out everywhere to be consumed on magazines. Uh, we were hearing the stories of Christina Aguilera or in music videos that were more accessible than ever. Um, we saw Britney Spears doing things people found outrageous for the time. Um, that's the, all, all those moments like that are how we got to this moment right now. <laughs> now, I know you're probably sitting or walking there and you're just like, okay, let's get to the point. Like, I understand you love women in music, Lucia. You've gone on your soapbox. Let's move on. And um, we are, I promise we are. But I just want to make it clear that the reason I did, like, mention all these women who have pioneered the way for the women and non-binary folk alike in music today is because in Chandra Mahatney's Feminism Without Borders, she addresses the issue of um, exploring topics and theory without acknowledging the work that was done to get to that point um, or for the theory to evolve to the point it has today. Um, and so I, I just want to make it clear, um, you know, the people who have helped us get to this point and the people who helped, you know, us understand uh, things that we otherwise wouldn't have. How can music work to blur the lines between what consent and assault look like if there are few women speaking on their experiences in popular music? While some music has been criticized for its objectification of women, I believe that a lack of female representation in the industry can be just as harmful. As these uncontested ideas from male artists are left to fester in our minds long after the music has concluded. Suddenly, I found myself exposed to just how much of my own life had been shaped by tortuous lessons on how to survive how to shield my sexuality from the male gaze, how to shrink my femininity to avoid sexual violence. The lessons would come from so many different entities, but the male voices in the music I was listening to were communicating some starkly opposite ideas. Their sexuality was a source of empowerment for them. Their masculinity seemed to be a symbol of strength. They spoke so freely about their desires, experiences, and expectations of women that I began to long for some opposing perspectives. I wanted to hear women exude the same confidence as my male faves, music that made me proud and comfortable with the power of my womanhood. Society is currently in a women in music renaissance, if you will. Women reclaiming space in the music industry has led to a global conversation and critique of us centering our sexuality in the music we create. They're like, why do women talk about sex in their music, you know? Well, I use the phrase reclamation of sexuality because male artists have always centered women in their music. Our beauty, our bodies, our entire being has been one of the main sources of inspiration for society's mainstream music since the beginning of time. Critics have seemed relatively comfortable with the hypersexualization of women by male artists. 
but are discontent with us reclaiming that energy for ourselves and rechanneling it toward the empowerment of women and girls. Rechanneling it toward the empowerment of all women and all girls. I can attest that once I became more intentional about the music I consumed, there was an evolution of my internal and external voice. The dialogue I had with myself and others was no longer dictated by that code of conduct my womanhood seemed to attribute to me. With music working to shape the ideas and behaviors of society, the woman's reclamation of space in the music industry has the power to expose a desensitized world to the realities of our experience in a female body. Through my own music, I have witnessed firsthand the impact that we can have. Music has a huge role in how we develop. Um, a study by, um, a, by these scientists found that um, music travels to primarily two parts of the brain, both the prefrontal cortex and the nucleus accumbens and... Um, Amy Goodall, girl, I don't know. So these, um, oh my god, why do I keep saying, um, <laughs> uh, okay, I can do this, I can do this, oh my god. So that was a TED Talk by, um, a woman named AJ Montreuil, um, she uh, labeled the talk Women in Music, a Reclamation of Space and Sexuality, it was a TED Talk, actually, and its its uh, title, of course, is very similar to the one of this podcast and this project, and it's one that um, really uh, grounded my topic into one coherent, um, you know, line of, of thought, and um, I, I thought it was really important to incorporate that voice of inspiration um, as we delve into this next topic, which is how feminist uh, ideals are promoted and a lot of these songs being made today at such a rapid pace um, compared to uh, years past. So today we are seeing women uh, reclaiming their space and sexuality at a much faster, larger pace than before. And a lot of the songs that we see today um, are quite pr provocative for that very reason, because it, it's never been done at such a pace. Um, it's almost as if your uh, society is getting wounded time after time, you know? They don't, ha they, they don't have time to, uh, you know, <laughs> recover from one Madonna single that came out or one Beyonce single that came out months apart from each other. This is an everyday, um, everyday thing. And it's, it's many thanks to the streaming era, which has contributed to this freedom women have found in music and this new sense of agent agency. Um, you can literally record something, um, in one minute and release it in the next two. So a, a lot has changed and, uh, people's access to this music has changed. It's it's a lot easier to get this music these days, and it's allowed a lot of women who didn't have a voice before to have a voice now. 
there's not as much a need for a record label deal or or what have you um all these you know uh filters um there there's no need for them anymore at least uh in the bigger context of things there's no need for it anymore so we're seeing a lot of artists like Megan the Stallion appear um Megan the Stallion's tiny desk episode um, that was posted just before the pandemic started last year was also another source of inspiration for this project because in the Tiny Desk episode, you can just see how um, provocative yet inspiring and um, how comforted she was in that um, framework. She She understood the the gravity of the music she was making she understood that she was you know in front of a predominantly white audience um speaking about issues and topics and raising cultural points that perhaps that audience couldn't identify with and um you know but it it was so powerful for that for that very reason because she was standing there um presenting this art that is a f- such a huge force of resistance to uh, the norms that had been set, not only in music, but in society in general, you know, as well. Um, so, so yeah, Megan the Stallion is a point of reference I want to bring into this um, project because Megan the Stallion, for those of you who don't know, is a female rapper who just graduated college last year. Now, her senior year in in college, uh, she released a mixtape, and uh, she got a lot of recognition for it, Um, but this was to no ties of a label or whatnot, um, or at least any huge contract. Uh, She was releasing this music, and it was a freestyle, uh, format so she was coming up with this with these incredible songs on the spot she had such talent but there was an issue of this in these songs Megan the Stallion was expressing her sexual desires her sexual fantasies and her uh, her rules for you know what she she wants in men uh, or what she's looking for in men in her relationships. She's making clear what she wants and what she desires, and she's not doing it in a forgiving way. She's using just as much explicit language, just as much um, objectifying uh, language as um, male artists have been forever, especially within the rap and pop genre. She was completely unapologetic in this practice, and you could see that clearly uh, through her music. You can hear it. Um, Yeah. This drew a lot of criticism from a lot of men in the industry and also a lot of men and boys in general who just don't who may not even make music um it was just it was a it was a her music was just so uh 
you know, it reached so many people and everyone had an opinion on it. Now, a lot of the men in my life had said, you know, uh, their opinions on Megan Thee Stallion. Uh, my brother, for example, expressed his discomfort with her music. Uh, he said, you know, it made him feel uncomfortable to hear her talking about men's private parts and how she only likes them big and, you know, things like this and how she wouldn't get with a man unless he had the adequate amount of money. Um, things like this, you know. She, she said, you know, the man has to be consensual. He has to um, be respectful of what I want in life and um, what what goals I want to pursue. And all of these things were just things you had never heard of in a lot of female rappers' music or just female like artists' music for a long time. We had heard it, snippets of it, perhaps maybe in the works of Nicki Minaj or Lil' Kim, but Megan Thee Stallion was direct with it. She did not uh, do any, uh, like, hints towards, you know, what she wanted. She was straight to the point. Instead of using terms like anaconda, like uh, Nicki Minaj did, uh, to be allowed into the mainstream. No, Megan Thee Stallion was straight up saying the, the name of the private part. She was not holding back. And so just using language like this that was provocative and uh, used by predominantly uh, male artists before is what made it so groundbreaking. And it opened the, the path and the way for so many female artists to follow her, especially in the rap field. Now we see women such as Saweetie or Princess Nokia, Rico Nasty, Doja Cat, all of which are female rappers of color who are very explicit in the way uh, they address um, the themes of their music and the meanings of it and the messages in them. And they don't hold back. And it's a very refreshing because like we heard from the woman in the tug talk say this uh this is this is a source of education for many uh before not many little girls or non-binary folk or even boys especially in the queer community were hearing narratives of um women and what they wanted in life um specifically what they wanted in uh you know, so-called taboo uh, sex relationships, you know, like, or just relationships in general that people are doing extracurricular activities in. Um, there, there had been, there had been little to no ground broken in that in terms of being upfront and forward about it in, in the most uh, modern way possible. So, yeah, it, it, it definitely broke a lot of ground and has now uh, resulted in the flourishing of many more artists doing the same. So Megan the Stallion's music has been impactful in many ways. In fact, she won multiple Grammys this year, um, just signifying that. Um, and so one thing I want to make clear as well is that one thing that made it so different and her music so different is 
the way she was uh, conducting herself in interviews when she was asked about, you know, you're making music that make a lot of people uncomfortable. What do you have to say about this? Well, Megan Thee Stallion made clear that she was not excluding men from saying these things. She just wanted to say those things as well because everyone has a right to express their sexual fantasies and desires and our goals in life, not even having to pertain to um, any extracurricular activities in that manner. And so one uh, song that really exemplified this and was actually her first platinum song was the song Cash, quote, Cash S-Word, which I'm not going to say it aloud because, of course, this is an academic setting. So in the song, she is expressing things such as um, the way she likes to be treated by men and the way, like, all the, you know, conditions men have to follow for her to pursue them as well. Um, and in the song that's fully written by her, for the exception of her feature, which is Baby, um, there is Baby, of course. And this adds an entire new complexity to the song and helps us understand this, this point in time in music. Baby in the song does not hold back. In fact, the song is, is corresponding off of one another. It's, it's the traditional duet in that they're singing about each other, even though they're not in a relationship. So it's purely fictional. Baby is talking about how he would engage with uh, Megan Thee Stallion had they been, um, you know, uh, in a relationship together. And then in the song, he's talking about, you know, quote, doing the nasty with her. And then he says that he is, you know, making love to her and that she then takes control of this activity, flips him over and makes love with him as well. And then signif like explicitly says that this is a, um, a, this is a relationship in which both are, you know, uh, expressing what they want with each other and that's, it's, it's a relationship open to vulnerability and open to changes that are necessary for a healthy relationship. So that is what makes music today so extraordinarily impactful and different, is that it's not only changing the way we perceive um, our tendencies in society to be today, it's not only changing the narrative, but it's also changing the way many people are thinking about ways to behave. Um, you know, it's saying it's okay to have your own ambitions in the world, have your own goals. And it, it, there is no subscription of gender or sex you need to have to um, either express these or pursue them. It's purely for everyone to... to you know, manifest in their own right. And this can be seen in multiple genres. It's, it's not just specific to rap. Um, you know, people also think that in the rap genre, women objectifying men's bodies in the music video is counterproductive. Well, Audre Lorde would suggest that power dynamics 
don't allow that kind of reversed oppression to happen. There is no such thing as reverse racism. There is no such thing as, quote, reverse sexism. Sexism is a response to the oppression both men and women face. You know, it's, it's not exclusive to one gender or one sex. And this, this narrative, this, this uh, messaging can be seen in rap and neo-soul with artists like Solange and Erica Badu and Jill Scott. It can be seen in pop with artists today like Dua Lipa, who actually made a song called New Rules, where she says, one, don't pick up the phone. You know he's only calling because he's drunk and alone. Two, don't let him in. You'll have to kick him out again. Three, don't be his friend. You'll know you're gonna, you know you're gonna wake up in his bed in the morning. And if you're under him, then you ain't getting over him. Right. And then she says, I got new rules and I count them. Because this is about accountability as well. And all of this is to say that despite shortcomings, this is a response to years of male expressed degradation, exploitation, and disempowerment of women, and a reframing of the way we see and talk about these experiences, and that women in all walks of life and non-binary folk in all walks of life are producing, writing, and making music and music videos that challenge us and these preconceived notions we have that so harmfully affect the youth of today. It is not explicit language that affects the youth today. It is in the way in which that explicit language is used. So I encourage everyone in that spirit to think about the, the music that I had you recall at the beginning of the podcast. Think about those songs that you, you remembered every word to um, at, at the beginning of your journey into uh, listening to music and enjoying music and th- start thinking about the way that impacted you and the way it impacted the way you treated others. And in response to that, in resistance to that, um, start diversifying your own narrative just as these women are changing the narrative of the industry and our overall society's um, messaging and conversation, because that'll change the conversation you have within yourself, and it'll clear all those uh, preconceived notions of sexism, um, the the passing of unconsensual um, uh, uh, interactions. Because just like you wouldn't feed yourself only sugars and only empty carbs and non-nutritional foods, you shouldn't be feeding your soul and your body with forms of me- media that, that only harms the way in which you see yourself and you see the world. Life is short, and the way in which we experience it, a lot of it has to do with the way we choose to see the world and um, we can usher in as much light as possible with as much curtains we open and how much light we allow in in the first place into our system and to our body and to our perspective of the world and so I encourage you to listen to artists you never have before because you never know what it could do for you it's exactly what 
what my brothers and my mom would say about, you know, eating my vegetables. You don't know what it could do for you, Lucia. And I didn't, but now I do. They ended up being really healthy and really good for my system, really good for my immune system, really good for my health, and helps me stay more aware and conscious and and whatnot. So yeah, I encourage you to do that. <laughs> Take this as a learning opportunity as well into ways you can expand your understanding of feminism and feminist thought and ways you can practice it um, in your daily life. Um, not only as a way of thinking, but as a way of surviving and a way of healing. Because in many ways, that's what all these artists who have dedicated their lives to um, doing their entire careers. They've, they've encouraged this sense of healing and empowerment. And it would be a waste to overlook it. A big thank you to everyone who's stuck around and given me the time of day, as well as the feminist giants who stand behind us. It means a lot. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your day, wherever you may be, and enjoy this spring slash summer weather we've been blessed to have. <laughs> so thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And like I said, have a good day. This has been Lucien Grier, and you've been listening to our podcast. <laughs> Thanks. Esquire magazine will feature her in its annual Women We Love issue. And the feeling's mutual. You said a man is not a necessity, a man is a luxury, like dessert. Yeah. A man is absolutely not a necessity. Did you mean that to sound mean and bitter? Oh, not at all. I adore dessert. I love men. I think men are the coolest. But you don't really need them to live. My mom said to me, you know, sweetheart, one day you should settle down and marry a rich man. And I said, Mom, I am a rich man. <sighs> yes, we are all sluts. You're a slut. All these dudes behind you are sluts. Your cameraman's a slut. Your PA is a slut. And your mic's a slut. And what made you a slut? Because I own my body. My body is not a political playground. It's not a place for legislation. It's mine. It's my future. And how old are you? Grown. So question one. Okay. It's happening. It's officially a hot girl summer. You know, it's towards the end, but it's been a full hot girl summer. We're extending the summer. Right. I think it might as well just be summer all year. We're in L.A. We might as well let it rock. Y'all don't get know? cold out here. And I think all the hot girls are here at BeautyCon. Have you seen all the hotties in this building or what? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> Everybody look good. Don't they? You said that being a hot girl means being unapologetically yourself, hyping up your crew, staying positive, and I think it's such a sign of our times right now. So why do you think fans have reacted so strongly to your movement? Yes. Period. Uh, but no, so I'm not a character. Like, I'm not fake. Uh, everything I say and do is, like, legit coming off the top of the head, coming from the heart. And I really feel like people just rock with it because it's real. Like, I'm just me. I don't know how to be nothing else. <laughs> and I really just want my hotties and my supporters to just feel super good about themselves. Like, when I listen to music I like, it make me feel bomb. So I want y'all to feel like that, too. <laughs> but my exact quote during the speech was, 
I really just feel like we need to continue to try to offer something to a younger generation of musicians. Because somewhere right now, your future woman of the year is probably sitting in a piano lesson or in a girls' choir. And today, right now, we need to take care of her. I've since learned that at that exact moment, an 11-year-old girl in California really was taking piano lessons and really was in a girls' choir. And this year, she has been named Woman of the Year at the age of 17. Her name is Billie. And those are the stories we need to think about every day as we do our jobs within this industry. The ones where people's dreams come true and they get to create music and play it for people. The ones where fans feel a connection to music that makes their day easier, makes their night more fun, makes their love feel more sacred, or their heartache feel less isolating. The ones where all of you in this room stand as an example for someone else in the next generation who loves the same thing that we love, music. And no matter what else enters the conversation, we will always bring it back to music. And as for me, Lately, I've been focusing less on doing what they say I can't do and more on doing whatever the hell I want. to learn how to be able to handle their own sexuality. 